This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 6, Trapped Under the Sea. How's it going, everyone? It's Zane Wind. And joining Zane, as always, it's Josh Viola, and welcome to Incredible Stories Podcast. And uh, thanks for continuing to yeah. listen to us. Today, we have a interesting episode for you guys. Uh, hopefully, you agree. Z- Zane, what's new with you? Not much, Josh. Um, I'm actually kind of uh, stoked uh, for tomorrow. There's this park um, that I'm pretty familiar with that's going to have like a food truck type uh Festival. It's not really a festival. It's every Thursday they do it, but I kind of forgot about it. So they had their last like uh, big Thursday foodathon thing. Um, so I'm really okay. excited to go and have some delicious food. How about you? Uh, well, you know, nothing as interesting as uh, food trucks up here. Uh, as as you know, we, uh, we don't have such fanciness in, on my end of Atlanta. Yeah, it really is, because I can really go for some taco trucks. You are not in Atlanta, by the way. <laughs> uh, close enough, you know, for the listeners. <laughs> but, uh, you know what, since I have nothing interesting to share, let's uh, share something that is interesting. Let's go to our headlines 120, Zane. Nice. All right, I will, uh, I will go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. The floor is yours. Featherless Penguin at SeaWorld given special wetsuit. Oh, yeah, very cute story. A uh, penguin suffering from feather loss at SeaWorld Orlando has been given a special wetsuit to help keep itself warm. Uh, SeaWorld staff created this special suit for the female Adelie penguin known as Wonder Twin. Adorbs! This helps her <laughs> to continue to enjoy her habitat in the Antarctica Empire of the Penguin exhibit. Actually, I just saw this uh, in the summer, so I know exactly what they're talking about. It's very cool. Okay. She's a female penguin, and um, she's begun to experience uh, feather loss. And you know, this is really bad for this this habitat because it's very cold in there. It's like it's like thirty two degrees. Uh huh. But the suit keeps her warm. And, um, it keeps life normal for her and allows her to uh, mingle with her fellow birds of wintry feather, um, and as normal as she can, and enjoy life. And beautiful Sea World. Well, that's uh, that's good. Uh, you know, Sea World needs some good positive stories, I guess. Out, you know, and that's that's definitely mm-hmm. a cute one. So, gotta love penguins. Uh, that's interesting. You know, making makeshift little little tuxedos yes, for penguins. Yes. Very nice. All right. Well, good good job, Zane. Under under time limit for that one. Uh, I guess I I will go with my first one now. China Clifftop Village builds steel ladder for children to go to school. Ugh. So, yeah, uh, it's been a while since I've been in, in school, but as a, you know, elementary school kid, I didn't have to worry about climbing sheer nah. cliffs, uh, which is what these these kids in China's Sichuan province have to do. Uh apparently their village is on top of a mountain, right? Oh, so really? they have to Yeah, they're on top of a mountain and they have to traverse a ladder up and down and go to school and the the distance is about 800 meters. So it's about a half a mile. So the kids have to climb a cliff <laughs> half a mile oh my God. Uh, up uh, both ways to get to Back in my day, we didn't use ladders. Yeah. We climbed with our ropes. <laughs> in the snow, uphill both ways. But uh, apparently they used to use vines and stuff uh, to, to build this ladder to get to the top of their village. 
but you know those would rot and kids would <laughs> die occasionally falling off of them. So China said, you know what, we're gonna just build you a steel one now, and uh, you know it's gonna be a pretty pretty hefty ladder. But you know, good for them getting their education on. I mean, that's dedication. And, and here we cry just having a, the walk a mile. Yeah, yeah. There's not many kids I'm sure that are walking a mile anymore either. You know, we're spoiled spoiled run. <laughs> that's us. And that's my time. So, uh, Zane, you can go up with your next one. Wife wins $1 million trying to show husband lottery tickets are a waste of money. <laughs> oh. Yeah, in uh, Leicester, uh, North Carolina, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, um, a woman in North Carolina wanted to teach her husband a lesson about wasting money, but it backfired in the best possible way. Glenda Blackwell's husband, Buddy, asked her to buy two Powerball tickets over the weekend. She, she said she wanted to make a point that the tickets were a waste of money, so Blackwell instead bought a $10 scratch-off ticket for herself. I was going to be ugly and buy a scratch-off to show them that they don't hit, Blackwell told WLOS. It turns out the ticket was worth $1 million. The family, uh, they took the lump sum of more than uh, $415,000 after taxes, um, and they plan to buy a home with the money and set up a college fund for uh, their two granddaughters. The last thing uh, Blackwell said is, she said, I had to eat my words, but they were worth eating. Yeah, I guess he's got, you know, forever bragging yeah, rights. It's, uh, you it's, know. it's over. Like, she can never <laughs> brag about anything again like he is. Or, or just doubt him. You can't doubt him anymore. He's going to be right all the time. So that's a hilarious story about luck right there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I hope I have that kind of misfortune yeah, with my wife. That would be nice. All right. Uh, my next story, Zane. Pacific Islanders may carry the DNA of an unknown human species. Genetic study reveals ancient aliens. Oh, you, that's a double headline, but I'll just get into it. So yeah, the, um, the, apparently the, uh, Pacific Islanders, uh, known as the, uh, Melanesia, uh, or Melanese people, uh, suggests that they have DNA that is not just human, not just Neanderthal and not just the Denisovans, but this other group that nobody really knows what it is. Uh, so they're, they're trying to figure it out. I guess they need to do more research and archaeology to try to discover, you know, bones or something from this group of people. But they say they have these genetic markers that aren't like anything else on people. So they just, they think it's another branch of the human tree. And that'd be pretty cool. So, yeah, and, and Melanesia is off the coast of Australia's northeast. So it includes, like, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, and those things up there. So, that, you know, I thought that was kind of neat, a little DNA uh, mystery. Maybe we'll learn more yeah, in the yeah. future. I really want it to be aliens. Yeah, <laughs> it could be aliens, and yes. <laughs> All right, um, go ahead. Uh, you're up. All right. Gold coin worth 280,000 euros found in Child's Pirate Treasure Collection. Hmm. The rare Queen Anne Vigo uh, uh, five-guinea piece was given to an anonymous owner by his grandfather when he was a child, and he had no idea of its value. The rare 18th-century coin was forgotten about until his granddad died, when he rediscovered the coin and gave it to his own son to play with. Experts told the man it was of 20 gold coins seized from Spanish treasure ships in Spain in 1702. According to the father, uh, he said, uh, My granddad traveled all over the world during his working life and collected many coins, which is kind of a cool hobby, from uh, the various countries he had been to. And he gave me bags of coins to play with throughout my early years because I was really into pirate treasure. Of course, who isn't? Yeah, and um, he said, um, I looked back to the coins, remembering the stories I made up about them, 
when I was small. And then I uh, gave them to my own son to play with them and put it in his own little treasure chest. And my little boy has been playing with this coin um, as I did all the years ago, which I think is cool. But I think it's even cooler that one of these coins, uh, you know, it's could be sold uh, for 280,000 euros. So, uh <laughs> Good That's for pretty this good. family, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, I guess we can't learn anymore because that, that is your time, time. on that one, Zane. All right, so my third one, Zane. Roaming fashion robots keep busy doing odd jobs on your clothes. Oh, good. So, uh, yes, yeah, so a robot story. Uh, this one, not from Japan. What? But, uh, yeah, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Stanford University have developed um, these little robot little robot cars that attach to your clothes uh, via a magnetic wheel between uh, the back of your clothing and the front of your clothing. And I guess what they're intending for them to do is to be able to roll over your body and do certain things that you might do, say like a Fitbit would do. It would zip on over to your wrist and sit there and get your pulse oh or whatever. It's creepy. Or they can configure into a name tag type of thing on you. I mean, the possibilities are, are limitless, but of course, this is in the early stages of development, so they're kind of clunky and look like little Hot Wheel cars oh on your body. But uh, eventually, we'll get to the point like Iron Man, where it'll just like come out of your your shirt and you'll have like a. a I'm fine with shirt. that because that's seamless and it looks cool. But just having these little things, uh, I yeah. mean, it just looks creepy. You know, it's. Like you said, clunky just just doesn't look right yet, you know. Yeah, I mean they're definitely they're definitely uh, first generation. So, uh, but you know they're kind of cool looking. Uh, we'll have a link in our show notes, obviously. But check those out. Alrighty, well, uh, <laughs> robots. Um, alrighty, well, great headlines. One twenty today, always interesting and informative. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, that's what we intend to yeah. do. Yeah. Hey, Josh. Uh, hmm? What's that smell? Ah. Uh... Victory? No, wait. No, 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 Josh. It's the smell of fear and maybe fish. Oh. And also the smell of one very fortunate cook's food supply being ruined as it sinks to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Well, that sounds depressing. Yes, uh, but actually, it's depressing for a few people, but there is one incredible story that comes out of it. Our main incredible story this week focuses on a Nigerian cook who survived being stuck in a sunken tugboat that's sunken for near nearly three days at the bottom of the frickin' sea. Hmm, well, I, I implore you to tell us more, Zane. Well, already, well, three years ago, on May 26, 2013, a tugboat called the Jazzkin 4 had 12 crew members, including our main hero and main survivor, the ship's cook, Harrison Oh, excuse, excuse, excuse me, audience. This is going to be a little hard. No, no forgiveness. Uh, yeah, you've had to deal with a lot of names before, so um, no judgment. <laughs> um, so Harrison, which is easy. Uh-huh. Ajedba Okin. So Okin wasn't that bad. It could be Okini. I'm going to say Okin. That sounds good to me. We're going to call him Harrison Okin. So they're on a tugboat, and um, they're traveling through, um, at this point, the rough waters off the coast of Nigeria. So uh, these uh, 12 crewmen um, on this tugboat were pulling along an oil tanker. Okay. When all of a sudden, an ocean swell overcame the boat and snapped their tow rope. Mm. The impact of this wave caused the Jaskin 4 to capsize around 4.30 a.m. that day. I don't like where this is going. So Harrison O'Keen uh, was in the bathroom 
when the rogue wave hit the tugboat and caused the boat to turn over and begin to sink. Unfortunately, the other 11 members were asleep and locked in their cabins. So thankfully, uh, you know, um, Okin, he, he had to go uh, number one and number two, and this actually saved his life. <laughs> but the reason why um, his other crew members, uh, they were locked, was because there was a recently uh, a recent safety measure enacted uh, due to recent pirate activity in the coastal region around Nigeria, where, you know, innocent seafarers would be robbed and their vessels would be abducted and looted. Um, so they locked themselves as a safety measure inside um, their rooms. But unfortunately, um, this well-intentioned safety feature would bring about the deaths and the doom of the rest of these crew members. Uh, well-intentioned. Okay, so so they're in the tugboat, Zane, and then a rogue wave capsizes it and knocks it over. That's correct. So so what a rogue wave is, for, for the listeners, is it's any wave in the ocean that is about twice as high as the normal waves during that time on the ocean. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're not necessarily huge waves, like a tidal wave, but they just, they just have to be twice as big as whatever's mm-hmm. currently on the ocean. They can generate a lot of force, these rogue waves, and just water in general. There's just so much energy in, in water. But a rogue wave can uh, dwarf uh, the normal uh, output of a wave. And, and most ships are built to, to withstand 21 PSIs mm-hmm. for a breaking wave. But a, but a rogue wave can generate like 140 PSI. Whew. So, you know, that is just like totally demolishes a ship, obviously. And that's, you know, probably what happened here. And the ship just bloop. It just couldn't take it. And, you know, I mean, it sounds like the, the water's a little rough uh, during this during this early morning hour. Um, but it seems like so these rogue waves, they can be they can come out of nowhere. I'm, I'm assuming. Right. Oh, yeah. There's lots of different causes for, you know, it could be an earthquake or a landslide oh, under the ocean. It just, you know, the, the causes of them can be. So there's so many different ways they can generate, but they're right. just unpredictable. So, you know, they just, they pop up out of nowhere, surprise people, and, you know, of course, they can be very devastating. Yeah, and it was definitely devastating um, as this rogue wave struck this vessel. But like we said, uh, thankfully, O'Keen was uh, unpredictable himself and that he went to the bathroom instead of staying locked in his own little quarters, because that's what, that's what saved his life. I mean, the other people, you know, they were locked and... Um, maybe he didn't like his own cooking. I don't know. And he had to go to the restroom, but, uh, yeah, maybe he was lactose intolerant. Um, but luck was on his side, but as this, uh, rogue wave, uh, struck the vessel, Okina was tossed violently from the bathroom while wearing only his boxers. Now, in a later interview, he's speaking to the nation. Um, he said, I was dazed and everywhere was dark. Oh, wait, wait, say, wait, wait. We're not going to let you off that easy. You're going to have to do this in a Nigerian accent. Nigeria. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Oh, damn you. All right. Let's see. I was dazed and everywhere was dark as I was thrown from one end of the small cubicle to another, <laughs> he told the nation. Um, oh, my God. That was like kind of Jamaican. I don't know what that was. Um, that was awful. But all right. <laughs> straight up awful. We'll just continue that pattern of awful accents. But nice yeah. surprise, though. Damn you. <laughs> yes, um, he was knocked around, but uh, once he kind of he was able to settle himself, he was able to move around the vessel um, after the initial shock, and he uh, kind of uh, moved uh, towards the engineer's office. Um, and at this time, the boat is sinking, so you just gotta imagine it's really difficult to maneuver. Things are falling over. Gravity's probably constantly switching because the boat, you know, is moving as it's sinking. 
Um, but thankfully, he has enough air as he's moving around uh, towards the engineer's office. Was the was the boat upside down at this point, or just right side up sinking? It I, it, it um that? it ended up on the um the floor of the of the sea um being upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So everything was completely askew. It was just a, a mess when the divers eventually found um, Okeen. And so, like I said, he made he made him made his way into the engineer's office, and in this office. Um, he survived because there was a because there was a pocket of air that mirac- miraculously did not collapse during the sinking of the ship. Hmm. And as O'Keen settled inside this pocket of air, the boat had nestled, like I said, upside down on the seabed, about a hundred feet below the surface. Oh, jeez, man, I can't imagine. That's got to be so disorientating. You know, it's just like, uh, how do you find your way anywhere? It had to been just dumb luck, right? And I mean, yeah, it was completely dumb luck. He's probably doesn't even realize exactly that the whole boat is uh, sinking and he said that he was hearing his uh, crewmates like scream uh, during this whole period because they couldn't get out and even the crewmates were saying like are we sinking like no one knows so it's total chaos confusion um and i just can't imagine the level of terror um that this guy went through and of course his crewmates went through but unfortunately um, they do not survive. But as uh, O'Keen settled in this um, air pocket, um, so he was nearly naked. He's he's wet, cold. He has no food or fresh water at hand, really. Mm. But like he, uh, you know, he, he was losing oxygen um, steadily. But he was able to keep himself, um, you know, just in the moment. And he just kind of just stayed where he was. I think he realized, you know, of course, like the water is around him. So he can't really swim anywhere. There's probably debris everywhere. So mm-hmm. he kind of stayed stayed put, and probably he was reassessing his situation. But um, any rational person uh, could view this circumstance of survival during this period as near zero. Oh yeah, I mean, who's gonna, who's like, I, I don't know anybody who's been through anything like that. But I, I just imagine like your air pocket, like in in, in the room he was in. I mean, cause it's got to be leaking out slowly, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's the big fear. I mean, I'm not sure how much he really was thinking about this, but there is mm-hmm. there is a lot of um, there, there's a science to it, which I will get into, and, and how oh, okay, which had yeah. how lucky it was. Okay. So Okeen, he did survive, um, and you know, just like you were saying, like you, you don't know many people who went through this. Um, there mm-hmm. are stories about similar stories to this. Not many people have survived something like this, but we do have one little story that where this guy survived a lengthy period of time underwater, just like O'Keen. In 1991, actually, this man named Michael Proudfoot, he was, <laughs> I just keep thinking about The Hobbit when I think about that. Anyways, <laughs> but he was a, a scuba diver, um, and he was exploring an underwater wreck uh, near the Baja California coast when he his regulator, his breathing regulator, broke. Um, I think he ran into something, ran into part of the ship. But... Uh, thanks to his quick thinking, uh, Proudfoot, he found an air pocket in the wreckage. I'm sure he just swam quickly, um, and he found a, a place where he was able to he was able to find the air pocket. And in this um, this air pocket, uh, Proudfoot survived for two days on eating r- raw sea urchins. Mm. And amazingly enough, uh, there was a pot of like small water he was able to drink out of. Which, huh. yeah, which I, I don't know. I was kind of looking through the story. I was like, how is that possible? Maybe it was like a condensation thing that um, mm-hmm. happened. That's the only thing I think of. But uh, that's what the story said. And he was eventually rescued by uh, divers. 
Um, wow, that's that's kind of interesting. Air pockets. Yeah, air pockets. <laughs> the best type of pockets. Much better. Yeah. Much better than the the lava the lava hot. Um, yeah, um, hot hot lava pepperoni pockets. Um, <laughs> but that's amazing. And like, you just got to think of the odds of these things happening. I mean, usually, mm-hmm. I mean, if one of us were in that situation, most likely we would kick the bucket. Oh, probably, yeah. But, you know, before you go further, Zane, I, I do have a, a theory I'm going to throw out there. Oh, yeah. On, on, ha- on how, um, how how this guy survived. Uh, I'm going to say a mermaid saved him. A mermaid? Um, yeah, that's my theory. Don't spoil it for me, but, you know, that's my theory. I will see you from right. Okay, okay. All right, all right. Um, there's That's an interesting theory right there. Um, uh-huh. But uh, let's see if uh, the science applies to that theory. <laughs> okay. So, Alkeen actually survived for nearly three days. This other guy, uh, Proudfoot, he survived for two. Mm. So Alkeen, um, in a later interview, estimated that his air pocket, kind of the space where he was able to breathe and move around, was only about like four feet high. In normal conditions, humans inhale about 350 cubic feet of air per day. So how did Alkeen survive for uh, nearly three days on this low level of oxygen? Um, and here's, uh, we got a physicist, and um, he's actually a rec- recreational scuba diver, uh, Maxim Umansky of the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Okay. He said Okeen can uh, thank his lucky stars to because of the pressure of the ocean floor. So just kind of the, the high pressure of uh, uh, being like so far down, um, 100 mm-hmm. feet down on the, the, the floor bed of the sea, it compressed his air pocket to a factor of four. Now, if the pressurized pocket were about 216 cubic feet, that's uh, six cubic meters, Umansky believed the pocket would contain enough oxygen to keep Okin alive for about two and a half days. And that's pretty much how long he was able to last. Hmm. When, the divers, okay. when the divers found him, they estimated, like, really, you know, if they didn't go down then, he would have he, he would have suffocated. Okay. Okay. So, so there, he's saying... Because uh, the ship's overturned under the water, mm-hmm. that the normal amount of air that would have been in that room um, would have been four times more because of, it would have been less pressure. But because of the pressure of the ocean pushing on it, it squeezed all that air into that little four-foot uh, pocket. Yep, squeezed all the oxygen into that area. Okay. And, you know, thankfully, Okeem was able to find that area. And he just chilled mm-hmm. out there, terrified, wet, cold, hungry, probably pissing himself. But he oh, yeah. survived. And so, you know, thankfully for Okeen, this pocket was slightly larger in a sense. Um, so he lasted for another 12 hours or so. But you got to think about it. Just There isn't just breathing in oxygen to survive. As you know, when humans breathe in oxygen, they exhale carbon dioxide. Now, this kind of goes back to our other episode in Apollo 13. Uh, when the crewmates, when they started uh, um, getting low on oxygen... They also meant like they were breathing in, they were breathing in this oxygen, but also breathing out a lot of CO2, and CO2 can be deadly. So, Okeen was facing a chance of carbon dioxide poisoning as he breathed in this small pocket of air. Now, CO2 is deadly when it reaches 5%, but Okeen unknowingly probably saved himself because he was moving around the water, splashing around, probably being... Just, just scared, trying to find anything to uh, like, you know, food. He's probably looking for food. Um, he's probably. Oh yeah, it's dark, right? So yes. he's just like reaching. It's, for it's stuff. dark. Well, he, he. I mean, it's dark, but he, uh, thankfully, um, some of the things that that kind of helped him. Um, one reason why he's able to stay hydrated, he actually found one can of Coke oh, that was floating good. around, 
And so he was sipping on that during the whole time. But he also did find a life vest that had two flashlights on sure. it. Sure. And you don't want to waste those. those yeah, it kind of um, it kept it bright, but it was still very dark in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so he was moving That's around. Smart. And also what he did, um, he kind of um, propped himself on a mattress so that his body wasn't in the water the whole time. So as he was moving around, all this um, water is also actually um, absorbing the CO2 in its, its, itself. So um, as he's moving around, this water splashing around, this cr- it created increased surface mm-hmm. area that kept the CO2 levels from reaching the 5% threshold. So I thought that was a pretty cool uh, factoid. I didn't really think about how even uh, water itself, um, you know, just like, you know, CO2 is going to get absorbed in walls or solid objects, you know, gases will get absorbed in liquids as well. Sure. So the more water he splashes around, the more CO2 can get absorbed. Right, right. You know, that's an interesting uh, survival technique there. I, n- I never really thought about that one if it ever happened, but um, that's definitely one to keep in the pocket. Right. I mean, I mean, just like you know, if you had a, like a paper fan, you're moving um, a gas away, or you know, moving hot air away from you to cool off. Like, just think about it in space, in like in in, in, a, in a in a a form of space. You know, if you move around, you're going to move, you know, the gases around or something like that. You know what I mean? But it's not over, Frokeen. So many, so many dangers when you're under the sea, a hundred feet down. Under so the many sea. Dangers. Under the sea. Life is not better when you're <laughs> O'Keen under no. the sea. So remember, how I told you how he moved kind of a mattress to kind of stay above the water. Yeah. Well, of course, this water was very cold, and he was facing the deadly danger of hypothermia. And this occurs when a person's core temperature drops to 95 degrees Fahrenheit or below. And so the symptoms of hypothermia, um, this includes confusion. Huh? Mo- <laughs> yes, confusion, um, movement problems. I mean, uh, you got to be shaking around like uh, I can't even <laughs> um, amnesia. So you start to forget things. You probably start kind of tripping out, like seeing a lot of things, too. Um, and then there's this really uh, weird syndrome that occurs that um, I read about, and it's called a terminal burrowing burrowing syndrome. He turns into a gopher. Uh, basically, so it's this really incredible phenomenon. When at a certain point after struggling through hypothermia, you feel this odd sensation where you feel like you're actually getting warmer. And so what you do is you um, this is like the near stages of death. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you're hallucinating probably. Your body's probably just like tricking you. Oh, you're getting warmer. It's probably just prim- trying to prepare you. Yeah, you're going to die. Or, you know, kind of a trick on the mind. So what you do with dur- during this pretty much final stage, you strip off all your... You have this this urge to strip off all your clothes and kind of nestle in the closest, like kind of cave-like structure as you possibly can. Um, kind of like a hibernating animal. Hmm. So, I mean... I don't know where he would have done it in this area, but like when people struggle in hypothermia in wintry conditions, you'll find a lot of people like, let's say on Mount Everest or other places, you'll see them when they've, they struggled and died of hypothermia, they've dug themselves into the snow and made a little burrow. And it's this really weird effect that people go through when they're about to die of hypothermia. I guess they just kind of like snap back to a primeval stage and, and your most basic instinct takes over. Yeah, and you just kind of, you know, like, I'm just going to die. I mean, I don't know if they really know that. They probably think they're getting better. Yeah. But they just kind of just, they burrow and they die. Uh, I guess they, they're, actually, that's kind of nice. They, they do the digging and they bury themselves. 
for you so yes. you don't have to do it. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's nice. It's polite. It's, very, very selfless of them, yeah. even if they don't realize it. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this was a thing that um, O'Keen was definitely facing. And um, now if wa- the waters, um, you know, the water can be like 60 degrees. And, you know, that's, that's, I mean, that's cold, but it doesn't seem that cold. But that can also lead to hypothermia. Mm-hmm. But this water was even colder. But O'Keen, he was able to avoid all this. And who knows, like, if he realized, like, you know, what danger is in. And he probably just naturally, he's like, I'm cold. I got to get out of the water. But he avoided this, like I said, by sitting on top of a mattress, which kept most of his, bo- most of his body out of the water. Now, like I said a little before, he was able to survive because he found a uh, bottle of Coca-Cola, kind of sipped on that to keep him barely hydrated, I'm assuming. Product placement! Yeah, yeah, exactly. Coca-Cola, saving Nigerians off the coast. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, according to O'Keen in a, um, a later interview, um, th- think about this. This is even... He's facing so many horrible things. Yeah. Now, as, as the... Um, this tugboat has settled onto the floor, the sea floor. Um, of course, you're getting some creatures coming in mm. to inspect everything. This includes fish and sharks and mermaids and um, uh, not mermaids. No. So this is where your theory is debunked. No, um, <laughs> sorry. But O'Keen, he said, um, you know, he was. He said he heard fish and sharks. They were able to get into these other rooms that probably got broken open where his crewmates were yeah. with the, the sinking of the boat. And he said he heard them munching on Ugh. his crewmates. Oh, like, no thank you. Like, this has got to have been pretty much hell. Like, hell on earth. Yeah. Hell in the sea. Let's just let's refrain. And, like, that's... Ugh. So, he had to face all that. But... With that, especially with hearing your crewmates being eaten or possibly even seeing it, he was starting to lose hope. But amazingly, incredibly, salvage divers from the Dutch company DCN Diving, they finally found Okeen. So now here is a reenactment of uh, these divers finding Okeen. Are you still on top of the stairs? I think I'm, um, on top of the stairs now. Yes, it's going to be another uh, stair going down to the main level, and uh, we're going to go that way, okay? Alright. How are you doing? Uh, just talk to me and I'll help you, okay? Okay, okay. I'm at the top of the stairs now. Okay. So, uh, you should be coming up into the next deck, right? I'm entering the main deck now. Uh, you should be uh, walking on the sail, right? Yeah. Oh, there's. Oh, uh, you, you found one? Yeah. He's alive. He's he's alive. He's alive. Grab my hand. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, keep him here. Uh, keep, uh, keep him there, Nate. Keep him there. All right. Uh, uh, just, just hold him there. I'm gonna keep him here. Uh, do. All right, all right, all right. Just, just keep him there and keep him calm. Okay. Okay. I uh, just uh, reassure him. Uh, pat, pat him on the shoulder, okay? I uh, just reassure him. Give him a thumbs up and reassure him, okay? Just uh, thumbs up, uh, pat him on the shoulder, just keep reassuring him. Alrighty, so that's how the divers actually found um, O'Keen. Um, and there's amazing, there's amazing videos you can find online at YouTube and all over the place. 
that show this. We'll probably put that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do that. Um, and it's incredible. And so this company, um, they do um, salvage work, um, you know, for whatever contractor hires them. And unfortunately, um, when accidents like this happen, they do recover bodies. So you have to just imagine, um, you know, this this crew, this diving crew, they have this kind of this grim job. They got to recover what's anything valuable probably to the contractor and, you know, have to recover the bodies for the families. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I I would have my pants when they're under the water, the divers, and they're reaching yeah. up, and they and the dude's hand comes down, like uh, with like I mean the sharks and stuff enough for me to my diving suit, but when that hand reaches out, I I, I mean what do you I'm God, jeez, yeah, because I mean they're they're looking for dead bodies. Diving is already creepy enough. It's very murky, mm. according to this video. And when you see the video, it looks like the hand of O'Keen. Like, obviously, he's just he's just kind of, like, sitting there in the water, and his hand was just floating there. So as the camera comes into view, you see the hand, and it looks like just, like, a dead hand floating there. Um, and, but but then, like, in, um, then it moves. And, yes, as you can, like, you can see from the video and hear from our reenactment, like, it scared the crap out of the crew that was, you know— Topside, and also, uh, you know, this diver, or if he had multiple divers around him, we saw him. That, oh, terrifying. Mm-hmm. But once they realized what happened and they were getting their composure, they realized, all right, we got to figure out a way to save this man. Um, and it, it's amazing. Like when this diver who discovered O'Keen, when he kind of emerges into the air pocket, you see um, O'Keen kind of floating there. And this. I, he looks so terrified. Now, Keen, he's kind of um, he's kind of like a heavy set, um, heavy set man, and he, like he's, it's ba- he barely has space inside this pocket, and he looks terrified. He's mumbling, and you, you have to imagine how scared he must be too. Like, oh yeah, he might be thinking, he might be thinking, oh my god, like, a- am I dying? Like, is this is, is like is my you know is this have, my have the sharks grown arms? Yeah, like he's probably. I mean, he could be like you know, kind of tripping out or something. Oh too. yeah, hallucinating. Yeah, hallucinating and um, incredible. Um, and they were able to uh, rescue him. And so this was, um, you know, pretty close to sixty hours. Um, you know, that he's been under there. And so before this happened, actually, uh, during this terrible ordeal, uh, O'Keen, he was he was praying, he was hoping, he thought of his family and friends, and he was just talking and keeping himself busy and i think that's what kind of helped save him and then he was finally rescued and so what the divers and what um the, this diving company had to do is they had to kind of bring in a small decompression chamber and put O'Keen in it so they had to put kind of a suit on him to drag him through the water and they put him in this chamber and they uh, slowly brought him up and O'Keen he had no idea how much actual time had passed um according to him he said when we came out, uh, um, uh, 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 oh, oh, sorry, you have something to say? No, in the in in the Nigerian accent. Oh, damn it! Okay, okay, you're right. Okay. Well, when we came out, I I saw the stars in the sky, and I thought I must have been in the water for <laughs> a whole day. Um, Okin uh, told the nation, "It was after I left the DCC, decompression chamber, that I was told that I spent nearly three days there." Jeez. So <laughs> it's like Italian did something. I don't know what. Whatever. That. <laughs> it's because I it's the transition from uh, American accent to my mm. uh, terrible um, 
it is Nigerian is is very hard. But um, you, you know, the decom uh, decompression sickness is is um, a pretty nasty thing if you get it. it um, divers usually suffer that. It's uh, sometimes called the bends because your body Ugh. contorts into weird sh- you know positions because of the pain. Ugh. But essentially, you know how that happens, Zane, is that the body tissue is absorbing the nitrogen from the um, breathing gas that the diver, uh-huh. so whatever's in your your um, your tank. Uh, usually nitrogen's in there mixed with the oxygen. So when you rise too quickly, the nitrogen expands and goes into your bloodstream and your tissues and forms bubbles. Oh and this can be very, very dangerous. Um, you can get, uh, well, you can die from it. Uh, that's the most severe. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the most severe thing. So like, you know, he's coming out, out of the boat. Yeah, his, his dangers aren't over yet. You could still die from uh, the yeah. bends. Although not everyone dies from it, depends on the severity of it. But you you can have you know just fatigue, joint pain, dizziness, uh, numbness, uh, shortness of breath, or some of the signs. But yeah, it definitely is dangerous. You got to watch out for that. You kind of think of it like uh, you know when you have like a soda, right? Mm-hmm. And before you open it, you don't see any bubbles. But then you mm-hmm. open it because of the pressure difference. It, you know it's less pressure once yeah, you open yeah. it. And then they all start all the bubbles start rising to the top. So that's what happens in your body. So that's pretty gross. Uh, but Zane, you know, you, you won't get the, the bends if, if you're just like free diving, you know, taking okay. a breath at the surface of, of the water and diving down and then coming back up. You won't experience that. That, that's something that's only if you're taking in oxygen and nitrogen from, uh, you know, your breathing apparatus because of the pressure and stuff like that. Thank you for clarifying. Sure. Yes. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Well, let's go back to O'Keen and, uh, wrap up his incredible story of survival. So, of course, after this, once um, he uh, went through uh, this uh, decompression process and he was uh, rehydrated, he had food again, um, he was able to be introduced back to his family. I'm sure he had to deal with all sorts of, I don't know, insurance stuff or whatever with the the government there. But once he was settled back in, um, of course, he was um, incredibly shaken. Mm-hmm. So this uh, this Dutch company, they uh, continued... Um, just diving and salvaging anything that was salvageable. Um, they were able to bring back the bodies of the 11 other crewmates. Well, that's good. Right. Um, so that the families and the community can have proper funerals for them. But unfortunately for O'Keen, um, he didn't attend uh, these funerals because of the superstitious nature of the Nigerian community. He, um, he feared many people would judge him or try to hurt him for being the only one to survive. Um, and he was actually accused by some people of using black magic um, or voodoo uh, to survive. Mm, it's actually in um, West Africa, Zane. It's, they call it juju. Juju? Okay. Yeah, that's that's the black uh, magic there in that in that area. But uh, very similar, you know, the with the, the spells and, and stuff like that. So, but right, it, that's right. terrible. Like, yeah, they 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 thought, hey, hey, you survive, you must be a witch. Right, especially for. You know, days underwater, like you know, it, I mean, some of these, some of these people in this community, you know, they probably, they, that probably, yeah, it seems like a crazy miracle to them that he survived, and it could be viewed as evil. Yeah, although I probably use that to my advantage. I would be like, I'm an all powerful sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> I survived underwater for two days. Come at me, bro. <laughs> I can breathe underwater. I am the lord of the sea. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, he's very glad to be um, alive. Uh, but, you know, this is obviously going to impact him for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, like, he, he lives simply. Um, he just lives in a modest home, but he definitely does not 
work out in the sea anymore. He actually, um, he said in an interview after the accident that, you know, he prayed to God when he was in the sunken vessel that, you know, he would never return to the sea um, if he was saved. Um, and he is stayed true to that promise. And just freakishly enough, I mean, imagine this, like, he um he still has nightmares where his wife has to wake him out of that he he believes that his bed is sinking Ugh. and so he constantly has these so I mean obviously just a crazy form of PTSD oh yeah and so you'll probably have to suffer with that through the for the rest of his life that's horrible right but you know this was a amazing story of survival and I love these especially you know for um, you know our content and what what crazy odds he had to overcome but uh. Josh, uh, what do you think about uh, this crazy story of this man who survived being under the sea for nearly two days? Well, first of all, I'm disappointed the mermaid did not save him. But, um, it, nope. uh, you know, I always like these types of stories of just human will to survive. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when you read accounts of things like that, that's always a big part of it is just, you know, surviving in, in situations is, is how much will do you have to actually come through it? And apparently he had, he didn't want to die under the ocean. And I don't blame him. I don't, I wouldn't want to die under the ocean either. I don't even like going on the ocean. So I, you know, I definitely understand his pact with God for never going back in the ocean again. Although, right. you know, I wouldn't need a pact to do that. I would just say, you know what? I'm good. I'm just going to stay on land and, yeah. co- and cook in a, like, I don't know, a Denny's or something. <laughs> That's what I would do. But I feel like most people would agree with you and just would never go back. That's got to completely just, you know, just, to screw with your mind. Oh, yeah. And then having all those nightmares afterward. I mean, God, I mean, just, yeah, you dreaming about like sharks circling you all the time. And I mean, how many of them did he see? I mean, I'm sure they came up into his little pocket every once in a while, checking him out, saying, hey, what's going on in here? Eh, nothing. Yeah, I mean, they, they probably, he was probably, I mean, he had the two flashlights. He probably can see, you know, whatever, um, you know, fish or sharks were moving around there because they're curious animals and they want food. So, oh, yeah. they probably, they're exploring every part of the ship because, you know, there's obviously there was plenty, plenty to sadly eat yeah. in there. Yeah, I guess but, uh, uh, lucky for, I guess that kind of worked in his advantage. I mean, there was other things to draw their attention away from him. So, cause he's mm-hmm. just on a mattress floating. That's got to be yeah. getting waterlogged and, and him getting bogged down. So I can't imagine, imagine his thought process under there. I mean, oh, I mean, that, that would be one of the worst ways to go. I think. Yeah. Just dying underneath a boat in, in, in the ocean. Well, I think, um, you know, obviously him kind of talking to himself and praying and thinking about his family, you know, that kept him going, kept him moving and probably searched around the air pocket as much as he could. But, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, I mean, if the if the if divers didn't come the time they did, he would have slowly uh, run out of air. Now, I, I'm wondering if like if that would have been kind of like a peaceful. I guess it wouldn't have been a, a peaceful way to go. You wouldn't oh, just go to well, sleep, would you? Yeah, it's I guess kinda... I guess you would because you you like you're breathing in all the the CO two, so you yeah. would just kind of like pass out, I guess. And you probably you probably fall in the water, maybe drown or something. But um, yeah, but you'd be passed out because you have no oxygen in your body. Right. So that might not be right. so bad. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was coming for him, but yeah, amazingly enough, uh, the divers came. But yeah, that's the sto- story of Harrison O'Keen. And uh, God bless you, man. I'm hoping you're cooking and doing well over there. <laughs> yeah, more power to you. Poseidon smiled favorably upon you. Yes, he did. But yeah, but you know who Poseidon also smiles favorably upon, Zane? Some watery haikus. You are correct, sir. Time for the haikus. 
You can go first this time, Josh. Alrighty, I go first. Mine, I wasn't feeling as much humor in these as uh, previous ones, so they're, they're actually, gonna, yeah, it was kind of kind kinda. of a depressing story. <laughs> but um, I will, I will bring my best. So, Zen music. There once was a guy who got stuck under a boat, drank nothing but Coke. Ah, I like the little <laughs> rhyme there. Yeah, was, cool. maybe, Coke, rhyme maybe Coke will pick that up for an advertisement. Yeah, they should. <laughs> I, I, I wonder, like, is Coke would be like, if, if they heard about this story, I don't know if there's really anything going on with him. But, um, like, the big, oh, yeah, we can, uh, we can help this guy out, be endorsement. But wait, 12 other, 11 other people died. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't touch this one. Yeah, mm. I don't know, maybe discreetly, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will go. Yeah, hit me with it. Harrison O'Keen, tugboat sinking survivor. Will cook, but not sail. <laughs> so that's his uh, his Craigslist ad. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, I like it. Yeah, it's nice. That's, that's his Craigslist and also went on his resume. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, all right, uh, number two. This Nigerian, an unexpected diver, black magic or luck? Oh, this is kind of similar to my uh, next IQ. Uh, did I gank it? I ganked it. I mean, what does gank mean? Like, Solid? yeah, that's how I okay. use it. Oh, <laughs> never heard of that term. I, th- um, I think it's a regional thing from, from where I'm from. Virginia or something like yeah, that? Yeah, maybe. Okay, weirdos. <laughs> so yeah, this is pretty close. A Nigerian was accused of dark magic for being lucky. <laughs> so pretty similar. Oh, all right, similar. We were on the same vibe there. Yes. All right. Um, uh, I have a third one. Did you have three? You said. Yeah, I have one. Okay. All right. So my final one. One thing that was learned when at sea during a storm, leave Tom Hanks at home. Ah, yes. <laughs> Gotta squeeze Tom Hanks into every episode, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. I like it. All right. The thing is, you know, if he, if he was on there, if he was on that boat, would he have survived? Because it seems like terrible things happen on all these trips Tom Hanks on. But would he have been in the air pocket with O'Keefe? Oh, probably. Yeah, Tom Hanks always survives. Maybe O'Keefe is the, the Nigerian Tom Hanks. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. I would say Speaking of that, they need to they need to make a movie about this. Oh, right? I'm sure it's in the works, starring Tom Hanks. <laughs> like, I mean, he's a very good actor, but no, let's get this realistic. Let's get like you know Idris Elba or someone who can really pull it off. Oh like, yeah, he'd be really good. really good black actor. Be even better if they're you know from Africa. That'd be even. They got to be kind of kind of a little chunky because uh, O'Keen is chunky. Oh, you know they're gonna make him like awesome looking now. Oh, uh, <laughs> really handsome. Yeah, for the movies. Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. So, you know, Elba would be great. Yeah, he would. Let's see. Okay, I'll do uh, I'll do my last one. Coke saved O'Keen's life. It just kept him hydrated. Endorsement deal, Coke? <laughs> yeah, Coke, get on it. Come on. Hook up, my boy. Even though there might be some kind of weird PR with it, I feel like you can do it. Or at least do it, like, quietly. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah. For, for listeners, maybe we should start a hashtag for this, like... Oh, hashtag O'Keen Coke. Hashtag O'Keen Coke. I can go with that. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes and yeah. share it. Coke's gonna see this like their their Facebook people like or Twitter would be like, what is going on? What <laughs> what is this story? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that is our story for today and our show. 
Uh, thank you guys for listening as always. You made it through another episode. Congratulations. Another episode, another incredible um, epic story. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, be incredible and epic yourself by following us on uh, Facebook and at Twitter. Our handle is at IncredPod. Check out our site. Um, we do have those uh, links up. Um, our site is IncrediblestoriesPodcast.com. Um, and we will have show notes and all sorts of little other factoids and links, including to our headlines. Yeah, and send us uh, send us some haikus. You know, we want to yes, hear what yes. you got to say. Yeah, make, make them funny, make them tragic, make them serious. Who cares? As long as, long as it pertains to the story or Tom Hanks, doesn't matter. If you have story ideas, let us know too. We'll be see if we can cover it for you. Yep, that sounds good. Well, for Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And I'm Zane. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. See you guys later. Good